When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. The Reds managed to stifle any new manager bounce with the return of Chris Wilder in their 2-0 win over Sheffield United on Wednesday evening, with goals from Virgil van Dijk and Dominic Soboslai doing the job. With the fixtures coming thick and fast this month, Klopp's side now have to turn their attention to struggling Crystal Palace this weekend in the early kickoff, as Roy Hodgson looks to manoeuvre himself out of a fairly toxic situation at the club. Joining me on the pod this week to share his perspective on where Palace are at and why things have unfolded as they have done, Hodgson's future at the club and whether the Eagles can turn things around. I'm delighted to welcome on John Hanna from Crystal Palace fan site, Eagles Beak. Welcome on, John. Good to uh, good, good to speak with you. Thanks, Harry. Great to be here. We spoke very briefly before the, uh, the pod started recording um, that uh, this might be uh, in a way, a bit of a cathartic show uh, for you. Um, like I think given some of the trials and tribulations that Palace have, have been through so far this season, I mean, a quick glance at the table, currently 14th in the table, uh, but then I think a quick look, a quick look at the fixture list and the results of late uh, um, uh, probably illustrates more of the problem. Before we go into this season, though, I, do, I did want to ask you just to cast your mind back right to the end of last season um, and just give me your your view on on sort of where you thought the team was at, um, your your thoughts on the performance last season, and like if there were certain areas of the squad that you thought, okay, if this side is going to kick on, we're going to have to sort of reinforce these areas. Yeah, good question, Harry. Um, I hope it will be cathartic, although our run of fixtures going forward uh-huh. will be bleak as well. Okay. Um, going back to last season, though, it felt really positive at the end of last season. We had had a horrible run under Vieira. Um, it was kicked off, at, I remember it very well. It was a freezing cold. Um, I can't remember, it was quite late December, early January, but against Spurs, and we got hammered. And 
it, that wasn't Vieira's last game, but from then that game onwards, we went about four games without having a shot on goal. We were terrible. Eze was nowhere near the team. Everything was bad. And then Hodgson came back. There was a lot of, um, uh, I think, particularly from non-Palace fans, a lot of maybe surprise or even, in some cases, uh, criticism or anger about Vieira sacking. And I understood that because his sort of public face and persona was and still is very positive for Crystal Palace and in general for the Premier League and football. But the football was appalling. Um, and then Hodgson came back and, again, quite a lot of scepticism, both within the fan base and kind of externally. But he was brilliant. And, yeah, he had a bit of luck with the fixtures being a lot easier. Eze was outstanding. Elise was very, very good. Everything just clicked. We scored tons of goals and we got to the end mm. of the season. And I think pretty much everyone was feeling really positive. What a great platform to kind of think about the future. I think there was some questions about, was it right for Hodgins to sort of stay on? And it, it, I, I think there was different views about that. But there was also some hope about where uh, we could reinforce to really push on from there. And Steve Parrish, the chairman, made some comments on the last day of the season about uh, kicking on, going to the next level, which to a degree has come back to haunt him, I think. And just in terms of where you were on, uh, also where you were at in terms of Hodgson staying on for longer, and obviously whenever managers come back to a club um, you know, where they're well-liked you know, because of, of, of their previous time at the club, um, it can be risky. Obviously, I think we've we've seen managers do it for like a almost like a stopgap measure, uh, where they sort of like perhaps will join a club until the end of the season, steady the ship, you know, uh, and then you know, move on. And then another manager comes in. Uh, you mentioned there that there was there was some sort of divided opinion on on whether Hodgson should stay. Like, what was your opinion on sort of like him staying on for a full campaign? So a slightly easy answer is it would have. It depends on who else we could have got. And I wasn't really sure what who else was available at that point. Having said that, I was also of the view that I feel so sad now because I have so much respect for Roy Hodgson and what he's done for Crystal Palace. He's a local boy. You know, he's been phenomenal. But I also think his sort of stability that he offers lets our board our chairman a little bit off the hook uh, particularly about transfers and the strength and depth of the squad and it I feel really sad now that potentially he is quite close to being sacked and his sort of legacy is a bit tarnished it would have been perfect had he sort of left in the summer with that sort of really powerful return essentially saving us and bringing really great football and optimism so at the time I was I was personally a bit on the fence. I, I I would have liked us to at least consider who else we could have got rather than maybe jumping for the safe option. However, I do understand why we did it. There's um you know the the couple of times Palace have been a bit adventurous in in seeking out new managers. It hasn't always worked, particularly yeah. under this regime. Not just Vieira, but also De Burr. Burr all yeah. that kind of haunts. I think uh, some of our board members a bit, but it, it did feel an unambitious kind of option, and particularly not backing him in the summer with a few um, more players brought in. And it's not just the fact we didn't bring players or didn't spend money. The money we did spend. Mm. seems 
like Strange, uh, in all honesty. We spent 20 million odd on two different players, so a combined total of, you know, around 40 million, neither of whom are in the first team or really even seem close to the first team. So, mm. and with Zaha leaving as well, it all feels a bit muddled, basically. I was going to say, yeah, just looking at those transfers, obviously, Matthias Franca, uh, attacking midfielder, comes in from Flamengo for 20 million, uh, but 19 years of age, like I said, sort of not near the first team. Dean, Dean Henderson from United, um, there's, there's Rob Holding in there for a nominal fee as well. Jefferson Lerma, I think on, on a free transfer, Butland's come in, off oh, that end of a load, I think it was. But, um, I mean, Zahar, I mean, that's, uh, that's a big departure um, in terms of sort of thing. so many rumours every single window of when like when or if he would finally leave uh, Palace. Um, the fact that he's actually ended up doing it when he's what, 30 years of age, going to Galatasaray. I have to say, it does look, does look like he's having fun um, <laughs> over there. And it is, an, it, it is fun to see him um, in another league. Um, obviously, I think he's, he's uh, highly respected amongst like Palace fans, but... How was it to say goodbye to, I think, you know, like Zahar um, and you know, also Luka Mihailovic as well? Yeah, with with Wilf, it, it was obviously sad. He is, again, another local boy, you know, through the academy. Um, as well, in the past, he went to Man United, it didn't work, he came back. There's very a lot of sort of emotions attached to that as well. He's been our best ever player. Mm. Uh, he probably will always be our best ever player. Um it's not just how good he is, but how he creates space for others because all teams we play then would double or even triple up on him mm. and he would create so much space for others to thrive. And just at this moment in time, this is the first time in a very long time where we felt we had other attacking players who could actually benefit from him, uh, such as Elise and Eze in particular. Having said that, maybe this was the first time where it was, we, we could be okay with him going. And I don't think you'll find a Palace fan who kind of holds it against him or resents him or has anything but praise and respect for him. And I'm delighted he's got to play in the Champions League. He's spoken about that lots of times. That's, you know, one of his really deep-held ambitions. Delighted he got to play against Man United in the group stage. And I really hope they go through at least the Europa, but even better into the knockout stages, which they still have a chance of doing. So nothing but respect. On uh, Luca, yeah, again, he's he's one of the last players of the Allardyce regime, um, and he was a really good servant and player for for Palace over a number of years. I think he had over the last probably eighteen months faded, both in terms of how much he played, but how much he could offer really. So um, it was less of a really bittersweet yeah. goodbye, and like it was the right time, definitely. No, I think yeah, I share your sort of feeling for um, Sahar playing in the Champions League, um, and I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's just it's been it's been great. I mean, no surprise really to see the way in which those fans have taken to him, given sort of the qualities that he he has and how exciting he is to watch on the pitch at times. But yeah, it looks like he's having a lot of fun. Um, I mean, you 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 discussed there, so I mean, almost in two minds at the, at the end of last season about yeah, Hodgson staying on, yeah bit of uncertainty in terms of sort of the coherence of that transfer window as well and uh, the players that came in or the players that, that, that didn't come in for example um so i mean fast forward to this season then i mean what were your what were your expectations ahead of the season where, where do you think fans heads were at given how the window had gone and um the fact that yeah Hodgson had obviously signed up to to be the manager for the full campaign 
think there's a bit of um, uh, Jekyll and Hyde about it, to be honest, because, you know, the the last 10 or so games of last season really gave a sense we could play. We could play football. We could, mm. you know, we've got some really exciting players. We had a, a way of playing to make the most of them. Um, yes, there were some weaknesses in the squad and even in the team, but if we take that sort of energy and optimism into the new season, there was a lot of optimism, essentially. But that was contrasted with the fact we do know Roy, we do know how he prefers to play. Um, uh, we've seen that for a long time over a number of years. So that was maybe a bit more caution. And then you're right, the summer transfer window was strange, really. And although I would say that Lerma has been a really good addition, really strong, and has definitely um, made a difference. So I think we were optimistic, but maybe cautiously so. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. I, I think that makes sense. And just a point you mentioned there, I mean, like being familiar with sort of Hodgson's style of play and like, you know, traditionally a bit more of a cautious manager. Um, and, you know, the, the, there's a points guarantee that tends to tends to come with that approach. You, you just look throughout his career. But why do you think it was that um, when he came in last season, sort of the, I mean, the handbrake was off, if if you will, like in terms of sort of the, I mean, the the free-flowing football, the like the, like some wonderful attacking football at times. I mean, like, do you think it was just a case of him coming in and trying to you know, reinstill confidence in the side and you know, got them playing like that and the, and the momentum uh, obviously followed? I mean, like, why do you think that, um, like, the, there was such a noticeable difference in sort of how Palace played last season under him? So I think there's a few different factors, but you're right. I think you can't underestimate how... Um, the players, particularly our more creative players, confidence were really dented towards the end of Vieira's time. Right. And I mentioned not having a shot on target for a number of games. He, We really retreated into uh, a very deep sort of our aims for games was to like limit how much the opposition could hurt us, essentially. And Eze, I think, really su- suffered as a result of that. I think Hodgson came in and like the players do like him, right? However much we might talk about him as a cautious manager or um, even a defensive manager, like the things the players, even today, even though it's not going as well, will say about him is they have a lot of respect for him. He's he's obviously good at the man management side of things and he's got a good team with him that also helped with that in terms of Ray Lewington and others. Um, and I think people just felt a bit unlocked, unshackled. And you really saw that with some of the ways we put, we we sort of blew away a Leeds team or, or Leicester in particular in the first couple of games. And then you're right, I think that built momentum and confidence for the rest of the season. And so, I mean, early on this season, in, in terms of sort of how, how you started, I mean, were there any noticeable shifts in approach? Was there a game that you looked at and go, okay, well, this is a marked difference to how we're setting up that we were that we saw last season? Um I do want to get into talk about obviously I think like probably from October when the results have really started to slide. But j- just in the, the the opening games of the season, um, like what were your thoughts on the performances? Any noticeable changes from Hodgson? Were there any hints at what we're going to talk about in terms of sort of the 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 negative performances since uh, since October? I think um, it, you're right in sort of pinpointing October as a real sort of starting point of. Being the results, anyway, yeah. 
in, in our approach. I think we played Fulham in late September, where I wouldn't say it was a big concern, it was a nil-nil draw, but it was mm. um, not great, <laughs> not a great watch, I would say. Um, and there's been a couple of other times where it was not a great watch. But then we went on and beat Man United uh, at, at Old Trafford, I think, in probably our next league game after losing to the men in the cup. But then... After that, we had another nil-nil with Forest. I remember that game being awful as well. So there was a few, yeah, the, that sort of run, although we were picking up points um, and on paper, you know, two draws and a win in those three games we'd have been very happy with, I think. Um, but in terms of the performance, that they, they didn't look good. It has coincided with injuries to Eze in particular, and as we'll get on to in October or just in the last couple of weeks, more recently to Decore. And that gets us into the, the real mm. lack of squad depth in midfield in particular. Yeah, I think the, the injuries certainly something I want to come on to. I mean, Decore, I think we think there was some, not actually sure about the veracity of the links between Decore and Liverpool in the summer, but yeah, clearly I think a lot of uh, Liverpool fans uh, had him on their radar and actually were just watching a lot more of Decore and so she seen the way in which he went down seemingly under no contact um like obviously looked a bad one actually didn't check to see which which injury that was but I, I felt it was obviously a uh, a significant one he's out for a number of months right yeah I mean the the assumption is probably for the season, for the season. Um, wow okay. um, but we have heard that sometimes before and it hasn't quite been as bad as that but that is was the, it ACL or yeah I think so Okay, sure. Yeah, it's like similar to Joel, Joel Matip. Yeah, I think that's you know, that, that, that that's a bit of a sad one for Liverpool fans because I think there's a perception there that that might be Matip's last or uh, well, the last time we see Matip in a red shirt, really, because uh, his contract's up at the end of the season and there's not really many suggestions of an extension at this stage. So yeah, for him to have done his ACL, it's not not great. I mean, you, you mentioned there the, the, the lack of squad depth being exposed by this. So you, you talked about the performances, you know, being. Not great, but not necessarily suggesting that there'd be this slight. So, do you think if we you know, come in to look at sort of the end of October when, you know, I think that the Newcastle defeat, uh, that 4 0 um, away from home, obviously, I think that, that starts this run of, I think it's like five, five defeats from seven. Um, and it's, um, yeah, not too many big score lines in there. I think that you look at the score lines and it's, it, it's, it's tighter in some games than others. I mean, it's it's, it's not like we're seeing with, with with some sides. But I, I wanted to ask you sort of what you noticed during that run, uh, and just how much of it you think is down to the fact that, as you're as you're pointing out there, you're losing a player as pivotal as well pivotal as Eze and Decore in terms of his his work in midfield. I mean, like, how much do you put down to that? A really high amount, actually, yeah. because I think it goes together with something else, which is a, a sort of style of play. Mm-hmm. So we basically can't have the style of play that we want to have or we had at the end of last season or even at the start of this season without those players, because the people who come in, I love Will use, um, I think he's great, but he's not, he's been effectively been asked to play in a, in a quite creative role that just isn't, he, he really can't do at this level. He he is very good at other things, but so in terms of progressing the ball, um, which Decore does very well, even though he's known as a defensive midfielder, we've really struggled without him and Deze, and so which has put quite a lot of pressure, meant more pressure on our wide defence, so our fullbacks who 
is probably our weakest part of our squad uh, in terms of also ball progression. So it's this, the, the, the injuries have extenuated problems that we had in the squad anyway, and our style of play has really struggled to adapt. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. And if if you were to pinpoint some of the results during this run, I mean, I mean... I want this to be cathartic. I don't want it to be too <laughs> negative with this, but I mean, like, uh, are, are there performances that you look at in that run where you think, okay, we were unlucky there? Um, like, or uh, is there a particular performance you look at during this run that is, signals something more worrying to you? I mean, as you mentioned there, I think it's, well, I'd imagine that, you know, given fans' bond with Hodgson over the years, that, that there'd be some sort of allowance for the fact that, well, there's, there's not much he can do at the moment with the injuries. But, um, yeah, just just give me your opinion on on like individual games during this run that you think are worth like worth talking about in terms of maybe unlucky or like um, more worrying signs, and then you can also I think we'll we'll move on to talk about uh, the relationship with Hodgson, where that's at at the moment, and just sort of fans' patience with him. Yeah, and um, good question. So I think we I, we have been unlucky as well, but. The worrying thing is I just don't, I haven't felt when I'm watching a game that I see something, right, that's how we're going to score. So West Ham, which is the game we played before Bournemouth, albeit West Ham were a good team and we were away um, at the London Stadium, we scored a goal because their defence basically passed Edouard the ball. Um, and we didn't really look like creating that much aside from that, apart from a moment of magic. We, we, we've become a bit reliant on probably at least say, maybe are you someone else doing something off the cuff rather than, okay, seeing that this is how we're going to play. And we saw that again against Luton, um, where at least he scored a wonder goal. We didn't really look like scoring much aside from that. So that's that's my worry, I guess. And and probably the West Ham game was the one where I really felt, oh dear, we, we're, we're struggling here. Um, and then we saw that again against Bournemouth. So, yeah, I know you asked me for one game. I, I guess the West Ham mm. game, actually, because that's, right. that's where I really felt in some of the other fixtures, okay, we lost or, or didn't do as well, but I could see somehow how we might uh, uh, get some goals. Yeah, I think the Luton result as well, right? I mean, I think, I mean, Luton away actually has been a bit, a bit of a trickier fixture than I think some people have uh, presumed it would be. 
but um i think yeah that's um yeah that's a tough one to take as well certainly and i think um i mean you moving on to hodgson then i mean like i was obviously reading before we before we came on that things have turned quite um well yeah quite unpleasant at the moment of course i think it was in the bournemouth game uh, a lot of um a lot of booing a lot of sort of like chance uh, sort of questioning whether he knows what he's doing obviously and um i think that even something being thrown towards him when he's uh, when he's walking off the pitch at the end of the game uh obviously like who, who, whoever the manager is when you get to that stage it's, it's not you know those are not good signs i mean what's your impression of well, if if I put you in the dugout for a second and you were there to try and help Hodgson, I mean, are there ways in which you think he's he, he's able to turn this around? Are there, are there things he could try and change that you think might get more out of the team? Or do you think at this point that it, it is quite a toxic situation? So I think one of the problems is he clearly doesn't really trust players who are currently not in the first sort of 12, 13 players. So we have... You mentioned Franca, uh, who came in the summer for quite big money, and you know Brazilian wonder kid, quite high expectations. The guy's got a balloon, uh, sorry, a Ballon d'Or clause, uh, for goodness' sake. So, he <laughs> um, clearly doesn't trust him. He said so, actually, uh, in a slightly off the cuff remark about the you know expectations on the youngsters, and he can't really uh, be surprised that the quality drops off when he brings them in. We've also got another young player called Amada who we brought in. At the start of last season, and um, again doesn't seem to really trust him. So it's hard to see if you're not going to change the personnel. What can you do? You can maybe change the style, but that is not something that Roy is really renowned for. So I think in his mind, it's a case of just being really hard to beat, and something will go our way, mm. which isn't exactly uh, you know something to get the fans going. Wow, yes, I can see what we're trying to do here. Um, and and really get behind it um, and the team. So it is. It does feel like it's not necessarily going to get better quickly. Plus, I mentioned the fixtures. We've got you know Liverpool look phenomenal at the moment, particularly in attack. Then we've got Man City after that. Then we've got yeah. Brighton, and I think Chelsea after that. So it's a pretty tough run of games um, uh, for us. Albeit ones we wouldn't necessarily be expected to to win, but given. Our previous run, we do really need for the atmosphere as much as for the our place in the league table to, to be putting in some performances, I think, or else it could get really horrible, basically, at Selhurst. Yeah, it seems like his approach is just to solder through it, um, which I think yeah, is, 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 is often a tough one once fans have fans have turned against you. I think you mentioned there some of the off-the-cuff comments, and I, I know that in, in the past, unfortunately, he, he has had this tendency of maybe uh misspeaking or sort of like saying the wrong thing in the wrong moment at times i think that that that, that most recent comment about was it the fans have been spoiled here in recent times right you get what he means right in a sense right you only understand what he's perhaps you know where he's coming from but it's it's just never gonna never gonna go down well when the team's in a poor run of form for example um that you know like oh, well you, you shouldn't expect more for example to the fan base i mean i do you get the impression from like comments from the chairman around the just how how safe his position his his position currently is, or do you think it, as you mentioned, there is going to be really dependent on uh, this next run of fixtures, which is you know, unfortunately quite quite tough? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think Arish, uh, the chairman, he's been um, 
he hasn't been one to make uh, sort of snap, you know, early decisions on managers. It was actually quite yeah. surprising to Vieira when he did. Um, although it took in hindsight, a long time, didn't it? Yeah. In, in hindsight, it, it was obviously the right decision. Um, so we'll. So I can't see them like moving super quickly, even if we sort of lose quite badly to to you guys. And um, having said that we have had really strong links with Cooper of Forest in the past. And if he, uh, his situation looks pretty on the edge as well. So if that happened, I don't know, it could be a bit of a um, knock-on effect. Um, but I would be surprised, but I cut, you know, if, if, if the fans booing at home is something that I think, chairman and and boards take on boards you know they do not want to maintain that sort of toxic atmosphere something was thrown at Hodgson uh, at the end of the game and so we'll we'll see I think he is quite on the edge I think we for him to stay we need at least a positive performance if not a positive result um, at the weekend I think he is probably a bit lucky in that regard that we play early rather than late um, uh, on Saturday yeah, another early, uh, yeah, another early kickoff. I think there's um, there's already been some comments to club about that, and I don't think he, don't think he appreciated too much. Um, you, yeah, I think it's clearly a toxic situation. I think whenever it gets to that stage, yeah, you you, you don't want to see, uh, well, you don't want Hodgson's reputation with the fans to be sort of you know like damaged by this. Of course, yeah, his his legacy sort of given his attachment to the club, and also. Yeah, it's just pretty ugly for um, any manager to go through that. You, you mentioned Steve Cooper there. I think obviously, yeah, given his struggles at the moment, it'd be pretty difficult to appoint him. I think PR wise, right? I don't, well, I don't know what, what what Parish would be feeling, but if, if there if if it was the case that yeah, Palace found themselves looking for a new manager, out of interest, what kind of manager do you think would be the one that you'd like to see the club go out and pursue? Like in terms of maybe somebody with a uh, more of a long term project in mind. I know, I know you said you've been burnt in the past when going for like other kinds of managers and trying that approach. But yeah, I mean, what kind of manager do you think um, if you could get him would be the right sort of uh, uh, fit for, for what Palace want to do? Well, I think that it's also different, the type of manager you might try and bring in in the summer. And I think that was always the expectation that they would try and bring in a project manager, if you like, um, in the summer compared to someone who you'd have to bring in now, uh, which is a bit more crisis management, even if we're not quite in crisis. I would evidently prefer a project manager. We are, it is a bit of a weird season in that there is, does seem to be a bottom four or five almost already. And of course, I'm not counting chickens and we could very much get sucked into it given the way we're playing. But it does feel like maybe you just have a little bit more of a safety valve this season. And so if you're make a change I would much prefer we've been linked with Lopetegui I mean I don't really know how um, likely that is he seems to be a manager who would hmm. prefer a more ambitious club essentially and he, he as far as I understand that he walked away from Wolves because they weren't because of that yeah. uh, to the level he wanted and I don't know if the situation <laughs> of Palace would really appeal in that in that sense um, but I slightly disagree about the PR point on Cooper I, I right. think um He's, there's a lot of, I think, I think there's a lot of sympathy for Cooper and just how mad his chairman is. <laughs> and albeit, yeah, they've, they've had mixed results and they, 
and there's a sense that, well, they spent all this money. But I think people are sympathetic to how difficult that's been and not actually Cooper's natural style and how he might do better in a, I suppose, a club that doesn't bring in 14 players every season. Um, and also a lot of respect for what he did with the England, I think, under-17s um, uh, and that sort of coaching style, um, albeit a little bit similar to Roy, but of a much younger generation. So, yeah, I'm not saying he would definitely be the one I'd go for, but I think that it wouldn't be as, like, uh, catastrophic a PR move as yeah. you might expect. Yeah, no, I th- yeah, I get what you're saying there. I think it's... Yeah, you just think about how much space managers need after sort of leaving one job to, to go to another. But we have seen people just jump straight, right? And it, and it does sometimes work. I mean, I, even Graham Potter is coming into my mind, right? He's been out of a job now for feels like long enough that you know maybe he's uh, he's eyeing up a move back to the to the league. It would be a, obviously a different you know a different scale for him after sort of being at Chelsea and you know things going as badly as they did. Although that does appear to be just as just as chaotic at the moment under under Pochettino. But somebody like that you feel would be um would be a great fit for for Palace and tr- trying to build for the long term. Yeah, I, I I would love Potter. I think there will be there would be some fans who would find it hard to dissociate him from Brighton. <laughs> yeah. Um but I think he would be yeah, he would be a good appointment. Uh and that's the thing, right? When you when you start looking around, you do think, well, there are other managers available. Mm-hmm. We don't quite know what they would demand and and whether yeah. I will go for that. But it does make you think things could be better <laughs> yeah. and more optimistic and bring it back, bring the fan base back on side, which is what we have to try and do as a club. Yeah, I think Potter just, I'm, I'm guessing his stipulation would just be just, just some stability, <laughs> just some stability, not a gigantic squad, please. Just, just let me work with, with this, uh, with this number of players. Um, and don't surprise me with a new one coming in every other day. But, uh, the, the game itself, and you say that obviously the importance of a, a, a positive performance at the weekend, um, the 2 0 loss at home to, to Bournemouth, uh, you know, albeit Bournemouth are in, you know, in fine form at the moment. I think it should be, should be noted. Liverpool uh, against Sheffield United the other night um, was a you know, tricky game with obviously sort of the new manager bounce associated with Chris Wilder being appointed just before for the game going back to Bramall Lane and it was a bit of a yeah tricky atmosphere I think if it had they scored first I think it, it, it would have been uh, probably a bit more uncomfortable uh, in the end it was just one of a pretty drab uh, 2-0 game that I'm probably not going to remember uh, in a few weeks um, but um, you, you, the game's coming so thick and fast at the moment there's rotation there's injuries that we're seeing whenever a player goes down holding his knee or his ankle like I'm I'm, I'm fearing the worst at the moment uh, given recent results given uh, again sort of the negativity around that, that home defeat to Bournemouth that's early kickoff, which can sometimes be a bit challenging to get the atmosphere up and going. But like, I mean, what what, what kind of atmosphere are you expecting on the weekend? And also, how do you think Hodgson's going to try and set up the side to um to, to give Palace the best chance against uh, against Liverpool that, at the moment? So I can tell you what I would like to happen, but what I think is going to happen sure, is very sure. different. Um, so I think our performance away at Anfield. Um, I think was it the start of last season where Zaha scored it was one one yeah. Nunes got sent off. That oh, for yes. me was a template for how to play Liverpool if you're a side like Palace. Um, albeit it was a draw, we didn't win, but you know you've, you've got to 
have a way of scoring goals, right? You can't just defend, albeit how, you know, to be honest, intimidating Liverpool's attack is, uh, even more so now um, with with your, I think, new look midfield. Um, but I don't think that's what Roy will do. I think Roy will play very deep, what you might call a low block, really try and restrict your ability to find uh, passes through the lines, particularly through our fullbacks. We'll play a very flat four with a f- almost a flat two in front of them. So it will be a very condensed um, approach. And we will hope that uh, we'll give Elise a lot of freedom, I would imagine, um, and hope that he can connect with Edward to maybe provide a set piece um, and nick a goal, as you were. I can't really see it being effective um, given your, yeah, as I said, new dynamism from not just your front three anymore, um, but the way Sobislai and McAllister are yeah. able to kind of create from that central position, let alone Trent. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it, if I'm honest. Yeah, it's been interesting, actually. I think it's seeing that evolve this season in terms of, you mentioned the new look midfield. And I think at times I've questioned what the point is of, of necessarily having Trent in this kind of hybrid role. Uh, I mean, last season it's all made sense given just the, yeah, the dearth of creativity coming from, from that area of the pitch. But now there is, as you point out, you know, McAllister, um, so much like more creative player, Gravenberg. Uh, none of them really want to defend, I think, but I think McAllister is having to. Uh, but yeah, I think Trent, yeah, you, you've seen the way in which he's been influencing games of late. Uh, I do wonder whether or not, yeah, the, 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 the club will actually, make a decision to go and pursue an actual right back um, and, and just, I don't know, free him up to be there more often. But it's, yeah, he's clearly influencing games. And I think, yeah, ever since those predators have uh, have gone back on his feet, it seems to, uh, <laughs> seems to have done the trick. I've, I've suddenly seen everybody looking to buy predators again, which, is, um, which has been a fun one. I, I, I guess, I mean, it's going to be a tough game. I'd say it's going to be like... A, Difficult to get the fans on side. I mean, it has to be a positive start to, in order to, to instill some belief there. Uh, Liverpool don't like early kickoffs, of course. Like, I mean, I, I don't know what the current record is, but it doesn't always tend to be the greatest performances from, from Liverpool in those games as well. Uh, moving on from the game, though, I mean, like past it. I mean, what if, if if I had to ask you now what your expectations are for the rest of the season? Like how you how you're thinking things might unfold. Right at this moment, what would you uh, what would you say? I think we will muddle through. If I'm really honest, um, I think uh, we'll have a pretty bad December, uh, but probably just do enough. We pick up a draw with Brighton. We might even beat Chelsea. Um, uh, we I, I should have mentioned in all the doom and gloom, we do have a fantastic pair of centre backs mm. who. And if we are to get anything against you or other games, it's quite reliant on them being very good. They weren't quite at their very best against Bournemouth, which is one of the reasons we lost that game. I wouldn't blame them at all because they have had to deal with a lot. But they are very good both in attack and defence. Anderson is one of our key creative players now. Um, So I think in in terms of your question, we'll muddle through. uh, Hopefully Eze will be back after a few weeks and will at least they will continue to score some goals and create some goals and that will be it and we'll finish 13th uh, essentially and then we'll, we'll go again in, in the summer and think about the future direction of the club. 
Yeah, no, I do. I do hope things uh, things improve for Hodgson, and uh, yeah, I mean, just Palace more generally. I think, but I think, yeah, as you said, it could be quite a uh, gritting your teeth sort of December. Just got to get through, got to get through these fixtures, and as you say, sort of hope that the the, the return of Eze is not too far away, and that helps to sort of be a catalyst for side. I completely agree with you, by the way, about those defenders. I think they're both fan- uh, both excellent defenders, um, and uh, I think, uh, yeah, that. A really great partnership as well. I think they both complement each other uh, really quite well. So it's great to see Mark Gay actually getting some um, recognition of late as well. But John, I want to thank you so much for for coming on. I, I don't know how cathartic that ended up being, but uh, hopefully it was uh, somewhat um, sort of a relief to sort of go through that a little bit, get it out of your system. Um, but yeah, really want to thank you for yeah for sharing your perspective on where Palace are at at the moment, and it's you know, obviously an uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable place. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on, John. Thanks for having me. I managed to avoid swearing, so. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, no, it's been great, and look forward to the game somewhat. Yeah, you. you I have to say, if, if if you were close to swearing a few times, it didn't come across. You were quite, uh, you were quite composed around it. But uh, yeah, thanks again, John. I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, all the listeners who've been tuning into the rivalry cons again, I know they're coming out uh, quite, you know ad hoc at the moment given how thick and fast the fixtures are at this time of year you know what it's like it's uh it's equally chaotic on the on the pod uh, side of things as well uh, so there will be another rival recon uh following this ahead of a yeah, tasty little fixture on the 17th of december against manchester united uh, at anfield looking forward to that one uh speaking of managers somewhat uh, under the microscope at the moment so yeah do tune in for uh, another episode ahead of that fixture but between now and then loads of great content on Anfield and Next Pro and yeah we'll see you ahead of that game against uh, Manchester United We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show the best way to get in touch is over on our free discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.